0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. As we're getting started, i got a question for everybody. How many of you guys have ever been in full-time ministry? Just by the raising of your hand, how many of you have ever been... Okay, y'all did not listen to my message a few weeks ago. Every, if you are a disciple of Jesus, your hand should be in the air. Because if, if you are his disciple, he has invited you to be a part of full-time ministry, wherever he has you. And, you know, for the past, I don't know, eight or nine weeks, we've been making our way through the book of, of Acts. And each week we've been reminded that God is on mission, that God is on a mission. And, you know, he's a proud father. God is a proud father. He is proud of his son, Jesus. He's proud of his accomplishments. And his mission, the mission of God, is that everybody throughout the entire world would know about Jesus, that the gospel would spread throughout all of the world. And if you remember in Acts chapter one, the first sermon that that Terry, Pastor Terry preached, in one verse eight, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my what? Witnesses. You will not just be my converts, but you will be my witnesses. You will be in full-time ministry. Where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, that is a translation from, for them back then. I decided I was going to bring out the RLC, the Reach Life Church, Translation for Asheville is from James chapter six, verse one. Here's how it would read. But you will receive power, Reach Life Church, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Asheville and in North Carolina and to, and the U.S. and to the end of the earth. We need to be reminded, and this book reminds us that God is on a mission. He is on a mission to evangelize the world. And this morning, we're going to see that God cares not only about, you know, the big crowds. We've seen 3,000 people come at one time and get saved. He's not concerned only about the big crowds, but he's also carried concerned about the individuals, even the individual that's over there grinding that thing right now that's distracting you as I'm preaching. He is concerned about individuals, amen? And to be completely honest with you, uh, this passage is very convicting to me because it reminds me of one of my weaknesses. And, you know, we all have weaknesses, don't we? We all have weaknesses, but I'm really weak in, in certain areas. For example, I am weak at grocery shopping. If, uh, if it's not milk or water or ice cream, the three basics of life, going in and getting those, if Kelly says, hey, James, can you go to the grocery store? I'm telling you, this like fear comes upon me, especially if she asks me to get a special spice or something that I just don't know where it is. Even if I go to the cashier She's going to put me in aisle eight when it's really in, in aisle six, right? And I'm going to be there for 30 minutes. Something that would take her 30 seconds takes me 30 minutes to do. I'm not good at grocery shopping. Oh, on top of that, I'll forget an item, too, that I did know where it was. Is that, ladies, is that, is that how your man is? Okay, secondly, vehicle washing. I, this is genetic. Uh, my grandfather, he told me, you know, uh, my vehicle serves me. I don't serve my vehicle, uh, so, uh, so when somebody tells me, man, I'm sorry, my car, hadn't, I haven't washed my car for three weeks. I'm like three weeks. Talk about three years and, and I'm not making, I'm not making that up. Now, listen, I want you to hold me accountable. I, uh, am going to wash my truck this week and it has literally, it's been a, don't look too close. It looks red from here, but don't get too close to it. It's white actually. Once I wash it, uh, another things I'm weak at is posting on social media. Uh, I put some really bad posts up there that's gotten me and my family in trouble. So I don't do that. Any- I got my wife, <laughs> she embarrasses the mess out of her. But I'm, I'm one of those that, that learned that I'm just not good at that. So I don't do it much, Eddie. Another thing <laughs> is keeping the financial books. I'm horrible at the books. If you don't believe me, uh, just ask Charlie Crane. He, he knows that I'm horrible at that. But this passage, the thing that, that this passage uh, convicts me about Something that I'm not good at is evangelism. And when I say evangelism, I'm talking about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who have, who don't believe. And um, I have lear- I've learned over the years that I'm not good at it. Um, it doesn't come natural to me. And uh, it, this doesn't mean that I shouldn't do it. I'm not one of those guys that say that there's certain people that have the gift of evangelism and that we're not called to evangelize. No, we're all called to be a part of the mission of God by evangelizing. But I know that it's something that I need to grow in and that it's something that is not my strong suit by default. And you know, there are some people, and you might be here this morning, who has that uh, special gifting that you really uh, thrive in evangelism. And so it doesn't matter where you're at, if you go shopping, if you're at work, if you're out in the park, if you have a conversation with someone, that person has got a a great opportunity of getting saved because you're going to share the gospel with that person. And someone who has the gift of evangelism is passionate about it. They're good and skillful about it. They are effective evangelists. And if you'll remember last week, we were reintroduced to a guy, and you may not know this, but he was an evangelist. His name was Philip. And he was one of the original seven deacons that was selected back in chapter six to oversee the distribution of food as the uh, church continued to expand. And Luke writes about him in chapter six. He writes about him in in the chapter that we're in. And he also writes about him in chapter 21. Now, if my timing is correct, it's about in chapter 21, it's 20 years later after where we're going to be at today. But I want to show you something about about uh, Philip that I thought was very interesting. It says in Acts chapter one, verse eight, but you will receive power. I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong passage. Where is that? Okay, we entered, Steve, hey, (laughs) it's your fault. Okay, we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. And I like what verse nine says. It says he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Basically, these were daughters who believed, who were filled with the Holy Spirit. They heard from God and they spoke what God told them to say. And so it appears that that Philip understood the order of the Great Commission. His Jerusalem began in his home. It didn't start out there, it started in his home. Philip, he was a hospitable, evangelistic family man who made sure that when it came to ministry, he started in his Jerusalem, in his own home. And we see that his children believed and ministered. It sounds like they ministered alongside of him. He did this before he went to the ends of this of the earth. And this morning, if you're, you know, if you're like me and event evangelism uh, can be challenging to you, hopefully this morning, I want you to know that that my prayer, that today's message will encourage and equip all of us to become more effective evangelists. And if you're taking notes this morning, I have four gospel truths that I wanna share from this passage that show us uh, four characteristics of effective evangelists. We're gonna get a look at what effective evangelist evangelism is comprised of. And the first one is effective evangelists know and obey God's word, God's voice. Effective evangelists know and obey God's voice. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And notice it says, this is a, what? Desert. Desert place. God is on mission. He's invited us to be a part of that mission, but he doesn't expect us to figure it out on our own. We need to hear his voice. And so he He sends an angel to Philip. Now, whether that angel appeared in a dream or a vision or a personal encounter, he could have even showed up like an ordinary Person. It says in the book of Hebrews that, that we come in contact with people who are, well, we come in t- contact with angels unaware. We don't know how this angel appeared to him, but we do know that Philip knew that the message that the angel gave him was from the Lord. And my question is, how did he know that? How do you know if you're hearing from the voice of the Lord? And, you know, there's, there's a, a pretty simple answer to that. Number one, Jesus says in John chapter 10 that my sheep hear my voice. My sheep know my voice. My sheep follow my voice. So if you are his sheep, you've heard his voice call you. So you know his voice. Secondly, though, if we're going to know the voice of, of the Lord, we have to have ears to hear. We have to have ears to hear. Jesus would often say, and when he gave a, a difficult command, he would say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And you know, everybody has ears, but not everybody has ears to hear. And, and the question is why? Well, it's, it's not because we don't understand. It's not because it's such a high level of what God's calling us to do that, what do you you mean? It's not because we don't understand, but it's because we have competing desires. We have competing missions, missions that we want to accomplish that go against God's mission. And when that happens, we can become dull of hearing. Our ears are not ears to hear. Jesus uh, warns us about this in Mark chapter 4, verse 19, when he says, but the cares of the world, the cares of the world, And the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. Desires for other pursuits will choke the word and it proves to be unfruitful. It's kind of like having ears to hear whether you have it or not. It's like parents, a parent going, hey, let's go out to eat, go to a movie and we're going to get some ice cream. You say that to your kids, they'll be like, I can hear you. That's my mission. Versus saying, hey, let's go home, do some yard work, clean up the house, and do homework. Suddenly it's like, what? (laughs) What, What do you mean by that? It's having ears to hear, simply put, means that you're dead to your wants and dreams and desires. You're dead to your wants and dreams and desires. And you desire to live for the mission of the one who died for you. You're dead to yourself. You're alive to Christ. And notice that the the um, the angel, the message that he says is he, go, he says, go down to a desert place. And I love verse 27. It says, and he rose and went. Now, this is important because uh, last week we learned that after Stephen was stoned, persecution broke out in Jerusalem. And the disciples were dispersed and and Philip ends up in Samaria. And as he goes and as all the disciples were going, what were they doing? How many of y'all remember what they were sharing the good news? They were preaching the word of God. And Philip begins to preach the gospel in Samaria and God blesses it. And people begin to come and get saved. And the same thing that was happening in Jerusalem. At the beginning, people the gospel prospering, it happens to prosper in Samaria. And God has blessed his ministry. And once again, Philip is part of a booming and thriving ministry. But now he's being told to get up, leave uh, Samaria, and go out into the desert. Nobody is in the desert, right? At least that's what humanly speaking we would say. It doesn't make sense. And you're not going to hear Philip. He could have argued and said, but Lord, look what's going on here. This church is so young. They need me. They need me. It doesn't make sense for me to leave now. Well, first of all, if Philip, he didn't say this, but if, if you think they need me, God needs you, we need to be uh, recalibrated and remember God doesn't need us. He existed before us without us and was perfectly good without us, but he chose to create us. And so he doesn't need us. Um, And secondly, uh, have you ever noticed that when God tells you to do something, a lot of times it doesn't make sense? Have Have you noticed that? And what does he want you to do? He just wants you to obey. He wants you to take One step. He doesn't show you everything at one time. He says, take that one step. If you don't take that one step, you're going to stay where you're at. But you take that one step, then he gives you the next command. And that's what he's doing in this situation. And effective evangelists, effective evangelists, number one, they know and obey God's voice. They know his voice and they obey it. And secondly, they are good assessors. They are good assessors. Verse 27, it says... And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, the the eunuch was a high-ranking official. Sounds like he, he probably had, was a person of means. He had money because it would have not been a cheap... Uh, trip to go uh, from Ethiopia to Jerusalem and back, and he's in a chariot, so the, he's probably got cash, and uh, he was either a proselyte, which is a Gentile who, con- who had converted to Judaism, or he, he could have been a man who just feared the true and living God of Israel and had made a pilgr- pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship, and now he was he was returning home. And you know, just picture him in that chariot. Uh, with this big scroll of Isaiah. He could have even purchased it while he was in Jerusalem. And he's, he's reading it. And in verse uh, 29, uh, it says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. Now, once again, that doesn't make sense, does it? Go <laughs> to someone you don't even know. Go to this stranger, Jared. Uh, Not just any stranger, a a stranger of power, uh, a a stranger who has a high rank. And so think about it. This could have been dangerous. He he could have been surrounded by guards. This could be dangerous. It's definitely going to be uncomfortable. It's definitely going to be awkward. But again, Philip had ears to hear and he trusted God. And what I want to do here is I want to examine from this point on, I want to examine what Philip's interaction his technique of interacting with the Ethiopian. I want to I see how he assesses the situation. Let's look at verse 30. It says, So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and, and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit. With him Now, let's, let's look what's happening here. In his obedience, Philip is not reckless and robotic. Those are two things that sometimes we as believers, when we go into evangelism, can be reckless with our words and robotic, just saying what we've been told to parrot. He doesn't run up to the chariot and start talking, hey man, if you died tonight, do you know, know where you would be? He doesn't run up and go, you know what? God has a wonderful plan for your life. He doesn't run up to him and go, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of the Lord. He doesn't do that, even though that's what Peter did. And when Peter did it, 3,000 were saved. But you know why Peter did it? Because the Holy Spirit told him to. The Holy Spirit was teaching him what to say. So that's not what Philip does. Instead, what he does is he assesses the situation while keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. And he meets the Ethiopian right where he is. That's so important. We need to meet people right where they are. And I can imagine Philip running up to the chariot as it rattled forward over the rough terrain. And once he caught up with the chariot, he began to walk beside it. And he listened as the Ethiopian read from the book and I can see, or from the scroll, and I can see the, The Ethiopian reading and looking up and seeing Philip and Philip saw, okay, this is my green light. And he opens his mouth and he goes, hey, are you reading? Is that the book of Isaiah that you're reading? Because, man, that is one of my favorite books. Yeah, I'm reading from the book of Isaiah. Man, do you understand what you're reading? I, I can see it being something very casual like that. He's not barging in. He's not kicking down the door, but he's gently knocking. He's testing the waters, and when he tested it, he saw that there was an openness, and so he took another step forward. And so we need to understand that the spirit of one-on-one evangelism needs to be a spirit of gentleness, of kindness, and respectfulness. Um, God is not calling us to advance the mission, (laughs) to advance his mission through force or through fear. And so if we're going to be effective evangelists, we need to be good listeners. We need need to know when to speak. We need to know when not to speak. There are times that the Lord would tell us, if we'll listen, He'll say, just stop. Don't try to go any further. We need to to keep in step with the Spirit of Christ and be wise. And I believe that if the Ethiopian had said, yeah, I know what this means. Uh, Thanks, but no thanks. I think that Philip would have just... Said okay, and, and moved on, but that's not what happened. Philip assessed and discerned that this man was hungry, he was seeking, and he was open for conversation. So Philip continued to engage. And if we're going to be, uh, be effective evangelists, number one, we've got to know and obey God's word. Two, we have to be good assessors. And number three, effective evangelists remember, this is huge. Remember that God is already at work. This is freeing when we understand that God is already at work. Let's look at verse 32. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied. Who can describe his generation? for his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or someone else? Now, before Philip met the Ethiopian, as I said before, God was already at work in his life. And it wasn't this is this is another uh, truth that we need to, to just grasp because it'll help us to rest as we're being evangelists. It wasn't f- up to Philip to save the Ethiopian. We've got to understand that when we're evangelizing, God's already at work and he's not expecting you to save this person. and, and I believe that if Philip, listen, I believe that if Philip had decided not to be diso- had decided not to be obedient and had been disobedient, this guy, this, this Ethiopian was going to get saved. God would have just raised up somebody else to take into him. Again, God doesn't need us to do this work. He invites us into it. And we need to understand that the gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth. We know that. The the word of God teaches us that. Uh, And it's such a privilege that we need to see that we can be a part of what God is doing if we are willing. And um, back to the Ethiopian, something was nagging him as he was reading the book of Isaiah, he realized that Judaism was not enough and he knew that there had to be more out there. And because Philip obeyed, he had the privilege of being at the right place at the right time, just as the eunuch was reading a golden, and I'm going to call this a golden passage for evangelism. Isaiah 53, um, that we're going to read we're actually going to look at that passage briefly in just a minute and, and go through it. It's such a, a beautiful passage about the suffering servant. but we need to understand that God was already at work in this man's life for how long? I would say since he was born, he was working on him, but it's getting really close to his time of decision and I recently heard this testimony uh, about a man who who said that he resisted the gospel for decades. And he said, but you know what? Inwardly, I knew that the message about Jesus was true, but I, but outwardly, I rejected it. But you know, God would not leave him alone, and so he kept sending messengers to him, a tract here, a evangelist here, uh, a coworker or someone that knew him and kept preaching the gospel to him. And this is what the, the, the man said. He said, all the while... I knew these things were the words of life. And because of every person who bore witness of the gospel of Christ, because of every person who bore witness of the gospel of Christ, I am now a believer. If I could go back and tell every single one who shared the gospel with me, I would say, keep doing it. Again and again, don't worry about people's responses. Remember that the spirit of God is at work. Evangelism, you know, if, if it were a sport, it's not singles tennis. It would be football or basketball or soccer or volleyball, a team sport. Uh, if it was uh, music, it would not be a guitar solo. Someone standing up playing a guitar. It is an orchestra. We all have a part to play. It says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul uh, says to the church, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters Is anything but only God who makes things grow. You see that? God is the one who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Look at verse 9. It says, For we are co workers. We're working with each other and we're working with God. We're on mission with God. We are co workers in God's service. You are God's field and God's building. So we need to remember that God is is always at work. He's already at work in the person that you are talking to. And um, that should free us up because it's a team sport. And I would just, just want to encourage you, just plant your seeds. Don't force them down their throat. Just plant your seeds. God will do with his word what he sees fit. So effective evangelists, number one, know and obey God's voice. Two are good assessors. Three, they remember that God is already at work. And number four, effective evangelists know the scriptures. They know the word of God. Now, personal testimonies are powerful, all right? They're, they are very powerful. We even we take a one or two, Sunday's a week we did it earlier this year and we let people just share their testimony, how they came to Christ. But we gotta be careful that we don't put our testimonies over the power of the word of God. It says that faith comes by, and we said this a couple weeks ago, faith comes by hearing, right? Hearing the word of Christ. And it's, in, it's interesting to me that nowhere in this passage does it say that Philip shared his personal testimony. Now, I'm not saying he didn't. Uh, we don't know Uh, whether he did or not, but we do know what Luke highlights. What does he highlight? He highlights the ministry of the word. And so we need to do the same. I love what uh, John Stott, he's a famous English theologian. He said, the fact is that God has given us two gifts. First, the scriptures, and secondly, teachers to open up, explain, expound, and apply the scriptures. It is wonderful to note God's providence in the Ethiopian's life. First, enabling him to obtain a copy of Isaiah of the Isaiah scroll and then sending Philip to teach him out of it. God's already at work. God's orchestrating things. God is providential. He's in, in control of everything. And there's two gifts that he's given us. Actually, there's three. There's two gifts. There's three gifts, the scriptures, the teacher, and the Holy Spirit, right? We we, got, we can't forget the Holy Spirit. All of these working together uh, is what brings about powerful evangelism. And Philip knew the scriptures. Imagine if he got in the chariot, he goes, uh, "Who is this talking about?" And Philip went, "I don't know. Can you get me? Can you just can we just ride together?" He he went in there and he knew the scriptures. And this is important for us if we're going to be good evangelists. Now, I'm not, you got to be careful because if you if you think, well, I'm just not ready to evangelize, that's not true. If, you, if, if you've come to Christ and you've understood the gospel and you've trusted in Jesus, then you're ready to go, okay? Because you've got the Holy Spirit and you know the gospel enough. Now, it doesn't mean you don't need to grow. And you know, one of the some of the best ways that I've grown is by sharing the gospel and making a a a fool of myself in front of people. They'll ask me a question, I don't know the answer to it. And you know what it makes me do? I get get in my car, I'm like, that's never happening to me again. And I go home and I study and I become a better evangelist. I become better at, at, I'm gonna use the word craft, uh, skill. And so there is a skill to evangelism. The more we use it, the better we get at it. So Philip knew the word of God, and that's what we've got to know. We've got to know the word of God and how to open it. And it says that the the eunuch was asking him a question. And basically what he's asking, he's asking, who is the the suffering servant in this passage? Um, Is it Isaiah or someone else? And Isaiah 53 is one of the clearest depictions of of Jesus, uh, the gospel of Jesus in the Old Testament but many jews back then and today who have rejected jesus as messiah will say that the suffering servant that is in isaiah is not jesus it's either isaiah or it was the prophet jeremiah most would say that it uh, is the nation of israel and uh, israel indeed was chosen by god in the beginning with abraham they were chosen by uh, God through whom he, he wanted to make himself known to the world through the nation of Israel. That was what he was, was seeking to do um, among the nations. But Israel was unwilling and also Israel was an unable to do what God had uh, raised her up to do. And so he sent the perfect Israel in the person of Jesus, who would be the perfect, obedient suffering servant. And what I want to do right now is I just want to read from verse one to verse 12 of of Isaiah 53. And I've been praying this week, Lord, as I read this this morning, I want to ask that uh, you would open our eyes to Jesus. I want you to to see Jesus. It's very clear if if you uh, have eyes to see that this is about Jesus. So I'm going to read Isaiah 53 verses one through 12. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. It's very, I'm going to stop right here. Just It's very interesting. That word pierced through. Back when this was written, six or seven hundred years before Jesus came, the way that they would put people to death was stoning. Notice it says he was pierced through. This is a picture of the cross. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men. "'Yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. "'But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. "'If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. "'He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. "'As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied.' And I praise God that he's opened our eyes to that truth. Um, In verse 35, back in our passage, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, the the very scripture I just read, beginning with that, that scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. What did he tell him? He told him that God is perfect that God is holy, that he is the creator of all things, and that he created man to be good and perfect, but man rebelled against God and deserves to be punished. Man deserves the wrath of God, but God did not want to punish man, so he sent Jesus, the perfect Israel, who was fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life and he died on the cross. He was crushed to bear our sins, to bear the wrath of God uh, in the place of us. For all who will believe in Him, that He died, was buried, and rose again, anyone who will repent of their sins, anyone who will respond, who will respond by repenting of their sins and turning to Christ and putting their faith in Him will be saved. And you know, that is the Gospel, simply. Simply put, I'm going to give you one other tool real quick. Hold out your hand like this. If you want a simple... Terry... Thank you. How? <laughs> All right. If you want to see a simple uh, gospel presentation, go like this. Jesus, that's your number one. Jesus died for my s- sins. Th- <laughs> Good job, Bobby. Yes, very simple. That, in, in a nutshell, there, it's more than that. But that's a, a great, that's the center of it. Jesus died for my sins. Very simple. If you've, and if you've trusted in Christ and, he, and, and you've believed in him, then you have been saved. And so we know that that the Ethiopian responded because it says, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. He immersed him and brought him up. And when they came up, out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. He snatched him away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. You know what's interesting? That was a miracle that Philip was taken away, but uh, the eunuch doesn't seem to really be taking much about that. He's re- he he saw a, a greater miracle that day. He was born again, and he rejoices in that. Verse four, he says, but Philip found himself in. Azotus. Ah, Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. It's not surprising that he preached the gospel, is it? If you saw someone get saved like that, it's just going to energize you, right? And that's something that we're praying right now for our church is that we know the gospel's the power to save if it's proclaimed, right? And so we're praying that God, would you bring about salvations in our midst? And wherever you are, God has, if you're one of his disciples, God has placed you there to proclaim, to be on mission, to be on his mission, to proclaim Jesus. And this morning, you're either a seeking eunuch. Uh, you are like that. Or, okay, I didn't think that one through. Uh, or you are in a... Man, I just ruined my ending, didn't I? Okay, or you are, you are a seeker or you are an obedient or disobedient servant. Um, if you are seeking and you have not responded to Jesus today, I wanna to encourage you to do that. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear the voice of the Lord, respond to him. And secondly, if you're seeing yourself as a, as a disobedient servant, let me encourage you to simply confess it the Holy Spirit saying that that's you. Confess, agree with the Holy Spirit, and believe in the gospel, and ask Him to fill you with His Spirit and send you out into the fields again. Whatever the Lord is calling you to do this morning, I want to encourage you to be obedient and to respond. Amen. Amen. Amen.